0: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18+. Greetings,
2: you've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com for their support. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSip.com, and you can go to GetOnSip.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last five years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about ZipDX.com, full-color, full-featured, full-HD conference bridge. Our website, VUC.ME on the web's hosted by Bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from voxbone.com. All right, hey everybody, this is VUC 585 for March 18th, 2016. And Michael, if you could throw up the, not throw up, but (laughs) show the uh, slide. There we go. Come world. I'm sure that Emil wishes he could go. Maybe he is coming. No, he's not. But it's in Berlin, May 18th to 20th. A lot of the people that you know from the VUC... Are going to be there, and it's the, I think, one of the best, if not the best, European gatherings. Okay, and today, as uh, we had the slide before, we've got Luis Lopez from Corrento. How do you pronounce that, Luis? Corento? 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 How do you pronounce it? Corento. Corento. Hmm. Like a short coffee. How do you say that in Spanish? Cortado.
3: Cortado. Yeah, but Corento is, is a word from Esperanto. It means stream in Esperanto.
2: Oh, that's excellent. You yeah. answered the first question. This man is a mind reader, Luis. We're really pleased to have you for the uh, first time on VUC, uh, and this is through Mr. Tim Panton, who I see sitting sagely over there. Tim, how do you
1: uh,
2: how do you know uh, Luis?
1: Uh, wow, um, we met in a Venetian nunnery. Um, we were we we, we were both uh, ex-nunnery, I should add. Yeah, uh, we were both at a um, a conference sponsored by the European telcos um, looking at the future of something. I can't remember what <laughs> telcos, I think. And, um, and, and in the, in the coffee break, I, uh, I met Luis and, uh, found that, uh, he was doing interesting stuff. And, um, and he told me about some grant applications I should have made and I hadn't. And, um, and yeah, we, 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 sort of kept in contact and, and kept, uh, bumping into each other in different places. Um, and um, and yeah, so we've been kind of um, uh, exchanging views and things ever since. He he has done, I think, one of the coolest demos I've ever seen um, with the with the shirt that gets replaced by um, by tigers or what it's replaced by. But he has a, a t-shirt with a minimalist QR code on it, and then um, the the camera replaces it with a a completely different image. Um, which i I mean i've stole mercilessly and used it in a couple of demos myself, um, but I think it's a really cool trick um, so you know we we, we are um, we're kind of kindred spirits in the in the in the uh, crazy demo thing, except that he's building something sensible and i'm maybe not on which note I should add that on the eleventh and twelfth in London or on 11th and 12th, there's a thing called WebRTC that um, I and a few other people who um, who you know. Uh, so, people like Dan Jenkins and um, a bunch of other people, and the Cranky Geek guys are speaking to other people. So, um, anyone who happens to be in London on the 11th and 12th, uh, that might be worth a, a visit. Um, or, at any rate, you can come and buy me a beer or something. Anyway, sorry, that, that's how we met. It was in, and I must say, it was a gorgeous place. It was a lovely, um, lovely nunnery. Um, the thing with Venice is that everything's quite close together and it's quite narrow passageways, and then you open out into this courtyard um, of, of glorious architecture with plenty of space, and the most wonderful collection of antique telephones I have ever seen. Um, anyway, that, that's how we met.
2: Well, that's excellent. <laughs> Great story, and I wish I could see this place. Maybe I will someday. Luis, we have a tradition here that I want to ask you, how, what brought you into
3: technology and what brought you into what you're doing now? Would you mind? Mm, no, I don't mind. I mean, uh, what brought me into technology? I don't know. My childhood. At, w- at what age? Let's <laughs> My- <laughs> say.
2: At what age did you start becoming interested in and, and what technology?
3: Since I was a kid, I was quite interested in technology, robotics, uh, and also science, astronomy, computers. Okay, and starting uh, working in real time communications was af- after my phd thesis so i i i made a phd thesis more related to social networks and how people communicate and after that i started implementing things for enabling people to communicate uh, but i always had the vision that just communicating is a little bit boring so i i've, I've been always trying to enable systems to do more than communications, and this is why I'm very interested in things such as augmented reality or computing vision or, or, or even now all that stuff of mixing virtual reality, gaming, uh, communications, all that stuff is, is quite interesting for me, indeed. Mm-hmm.
2: And this is a perfect time of um, technology. I mean, the, the mixture of different things that are happening. Uh, it's amazing what's gone down just in the past five years. Uh, and, of course, WebRTC... I don't know exactly when you could put a date on WebRTC. Tim's thinking about it. I can see by the expression on his face. Tim, what, what, would you uh, have a thing to advance as far as when this five years a ago. thing? Was it five years? I said five, you know, kind of randomly.
1: Yeah, no, five years ago. I was looking at this because we were on Twitter this morning um, discussing – gosh, I can't remember. What, oh, that's right. So um, Rosenberg, um, Jonathan Rosenberg said uh, that Slack – no, excuse me, Spark, Cisco Spark, doesn't support SIP um, because um, it doesn't map well to push notifications on, on mobile. And this doesn't seem like a big deal, except that the person who wrote the original RFC for, uh, for SIP is, is uh, Jonathan Rosenberg. So, this is the original, one of the original authors of the SIP RFCs is, is, is saying that it doesn't actually map well to the mobile world and his newest products don't use it. Um, so I mentioned this on, on, on Twitter, and then it got into a, a discussion about whether WebRTC – not a discussion. I then said that – and it just proves why WebRTC not having SIP baked into it was the right decision. Um, and and to back that up, I went back and looked at the mailing list to see when that decision was made and, and kind of who influenced it. And that was actually really interesting because it was back in, in 2011. And uh, Emil and I were there arguing about um, – about ice, actually. Even then, it's like nothing has changed. Basically,
2: funny. All right, let's let's get to uh, Carento and how that started, and what maybe when were you in from the beginning, Luis, or uh, did you come to it when it had already started, or did you start it? Well, well and,
4: and, and what
3: is it? Let's get into the basics. Well,
2: you, yeah, we could do that too. Thank you, Michael.
3: <laughs> you want? We kind start with the presentation because uh, I think it it contains that basic information or or, or not or or.
2: Yeah, sure. no, we start with whatever you'd like to start with, actually.
3: Yeah, okay. So let's with the presentation, let's go with it. And mm-hmm. and then we can discuss on on top of slides, which probably it's very useful, okay? So I think this one should work. Okay. Perfect. Can you see it? Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So first of all, a little bit about myself, if you want, okay? So... I am now a professor at a university close to Madrid. It is Universidad de Juan Carlos, 20 kilometers to the south of Madrid. It's a very young university, but we are medium-sized. We have now around 30,000 students, so mid-sized university. And uh, I carry out different types of research activities in the area of real-time communications and web IDC and particularly in coordinating the New Media Research Project, which is devoted to creating a, a cloud infrastructure for real-time communications and web advocacy. and I'm also participating into another project called Fireware, which is a very huge uh, European research project. And somehow current is the result of these two projects. And of course, I'm also an open-source software enthusiast. Uh, uh, I like to somehow contribute to open source uh, uh, projects, and uh, I somehow like the open source software movement and philosophy. And this is why we started contributing all, all our results as, as open source, and and this is how current started. So it it, it started as a project where we were dropping all the results of our research. But uh, after uh, the year 2012, we started also understanding that it can become uh, something useful for doing interesting things and applications on top. So we started uh, somehow creating the media server itself, which is a piece of technology which is more coherent. It is uh, providing a set of of functionalities under a common architecture. So this is more or less who I am, and and this is what I would like to be uh, discussing today. Uh, I would like to be talking about WebRTC infrastructure. So uh, I don't know if it is worth it to, to discuss about WebParsi. I think that most of the people listening to this is al- is already aware of WebRTC and know about WebRTC. And in principle, WebRTC, if you just use the stack provided by the browser you can do very interesting things with it but limited to peer to peer communications and then uh, there are many people who wants to who want to to do more complex things who want to have scalable group communications or want to be recording the media into a repository or processing the media it, and then they use a media infrastructure and today we are going to be talking about media infrastructure because Corento at the end of the day is a media infrastructure. is, is a media service. It's something which is in the middle of a communication. So from that perspective, it's an infrastructure or a middleware. And um, and then for for understanding a little bit what is Corento and how people can use it, I'm going to uh, talk from the perspective of a developer. Okay, So I'm a developer and probably... There are also here people who is a developer and and during this presentation, I'm interested somehow also in in communicating how to create things on top of of Curento, so I will be most of the time using the perspective of a developer. And then from the perspective of a developer, developers are very used to uh, developing web applications using the architecture that we can see on the left in this picture, So this is the typical three-tiered architecture, and the developer just consumes some kind of services, which are typically databases or services or data processing mechanisms. So the developer consumes those services through some kind of APIs and creates some kind of application logic, and this application logic is created into some kind of application server. Then... When developing with application servers, there are people who like to develop in Java, in JavaScript, in PHP. So there are a lot of different application servers. But the point is that somehow web developers are really used to this type of architecture. So that the client sent a request and the request arrives to the application server and the application server provides some semantics to that request. And as part of these semantics, the application server can use the services that are uh, at the very bottom. Uh then the point is that when the, we designed at Cudento, we wanted to maintain this uh, development model because it is very familiar with for developers. So we created what we can see on the right. And on the right we can see the typical architecture of an application which is consuming a media server. And as you can see, it is it is equivalent so that the We have clients, which can be browsers or cameras or mobile devices who use some kind of signaling for sending messages to an application server. And in the application server, there is some logic that the developer has created. And that logic is uh, somehow providing the media service to the client. And for providing the media service, we can use the capabilities of a media infrastructure of a media server. And for using those capabilities, we use APIs. Then somehow um, Curento is uh, represented by that thing that is called multimedia capabilities on the on on the right side of the picture. And the developer creates code, creates programs which are hosted in that thing that is called the multimedia uh, application logic in that box. Okay. So basically uh, following this, if if there are people who who is a little bit lost with this diagram, we can go to the very typical WebPACI triangle, uh, where we can see how two browsers establish a communication through some kind of signaling. That thing that is called control data into this slide, and through that signaling they establish a communication through a peer connection. Okay, so the the idea of using a media server is somehow to put something in the middle of the peers, so that the signaling is managed by the application server, and so that the media server is in the middle of the communication. And as it is in the middle, it can be do th- uh, it can do things with the media. It can be recording the media, transcoding the media, routing the media, processing the media. It can do a lot of things with the media. Okay. So the, this is the the main intuitive idea of an architecture or the architecture of an application using a media server. Okay. Then after that, uh, we can discuss about why media servers are useful. And yeah, and then if we look into current state of the app, if, if you take a look to the different media infrastructures, to the different media servers, you will notice that there are different types of them. There are media servers that are useful for transcoding. There are media servers that are useful for good communications, so different topologies, mixers, selective forwarding units, and there are media servers that are useful for uh, archiving, for for recording media and for recovering the media and playing the media. Okay, so this, these are the three most typical media servers in the market. Okay. So based in, on all these ideas, uh, we created Curento a few years ago, but uh, our... Vision when we created Corento was somehow to consider that this infrastructure, that this media infrastructure, that the media server does not require to be limited to just the simple features that other media servers are offering. So if the media server is having the media because the media is getting through the media server, we can do a lot of things in addition to transcoding or mixing or recording it. So we thought that it was possible to create a media server doing whatever you want with the media. Whatever you want with the media means that the media can be enriched using, for example, augmented reality, or analyzed, or transformed, or blend. So the philosophy behind Curento is is that, to enable the capability for developers of having all types of capabilities into that media server. And for this, of course, Uh, when required to create an architecture for the media server suitable for being capable of hosting all these capabilities in a coherent way. And then we came to a very modular architecture. So uh, at the end of the day, we are going to see several examples on how to use Curento in this presentation. And all all the examples then are based into this picture. I insist into it because it is... uh, somehow the basis for understanding the rest of things. And, and basically then the developer is creating some application logic and this application logic is consuming some kind of RTC media APIs. We have different types of, uh, of APIs. We are going to be introducing them, APIs for making room communications, for making broadcasting, for just controlling the different capabilities of a media server. And then the developer is in that green box developing its application logic. And this application logic is then speaking a protocol with the media server, a protocol that makes possible to control the media capabilities, to control their behavior, and also to have the media server to publish events, events relative to things that are happening at the media. Then... The point is that the media server is a piece of technology that has been writing for efficiency. So it has been writing in C and C++. But there are different types of SDKs that speak the media server control protocol and those SDKs are in different languages. So we officially support uh, Java and JavaScript through Node.js application server. But there are other people in our community that have created SDKs for other different types of languages, such as Go or Python or PHP. So this is somehow the basic architecture we are going to be seeing again and again in, in, the, in the different examples we are going to be seeing today, okay. So for creating the media server, we needed to incorporate a lot of different technologies. Uh, we are not going to stop a lot in, into these slates. So Let's go to this one, in which uh, I would like to introduce the community side of Curento Media Server. So, Curento Media Server is an open source uh, software, and it is currently under the control of the Curento open source software community. So, mm-hmm. I would like to discuss a little bit about this community and introduce you to the community. Uh, mm-hmm. Our main communication channel in the community is a mailing list, which is now quite. Early. Quite active. We have around 600 subscribers now and and around uh, between 10 and 20 messages per day. So we have a lot of activity into the community. The community has become a relevant worldwide reference for WebRTC. So we, if you look for WebRTC media server or WebRTC server, we are in the first uh, positions in, in Google Engine. We got also some awards we, when we were able to, to go to different types of events. So we, we are doing things that are somehow catching the attention of people out there. And there are now a lot of companies supporting the community. We, we estimate that there are around 300 companies using Curento in different ways and contributing also to Curento in, in different ways. So the, the community is, is active and, and it is quite Uh, living at at the moment so here you have some URLs just in case you want to take a look to the community, to the documentation mailing list, I will upload later the presentation to a slideshow so if if you want to to catch this these URLs so um, then once we have introduced uh, what is Corento and what is the open source Corento community I would like then to uh, to show how to create applications based in Corento. So I'm going to present some ideas that are going to be useful for developers. And if you are not a developer, uh, uh, then allow me to apologize since now because I'm going to be showing even some code in the presentation so that uh, that the, the presentation is going to be more oriented toward developers. Okay. Then... For developing with Curento, the most important thing is to understand that Curento has been created as based on a model architecture, so that in Curento there is something called a media element, which is a basic model. A media element is having the capability of doing something with the media. And then the the Curento API is just enabling uh, developers to uh, instantiate and to interconnect these uh, media elements so that the media elements are created the media elements are interconnected, and the, as a result of creating an interconnecting media elements, I create a graph of models, a graph of media elements, and that graph of models or of media elements is called a pipeline in our jargon. It is called a pipeline for traditional reasons, but it is not really a pipeline. It is an arbitrary graph. You can connect the media elements in the way you want. They they don't need to be connected in in a linear way, in a pipeline way. Okay. But anyhow, we, we call it a pipeline anyhow. Yep. So then the basic idea of Curento is that it is modular. Okay? And in relation to, to the term modular, I would like to make somehow a reflection in relation to, to what this means. Because uh, today the term modular is used in different contexts uh, with different meanings. And I think it is worth worthy to, to explain what we understand by modular. And and we speak about modular in the sense of modularity, in the sense of modularity as it it is understood by the software engineering community. So, at the bottom of this slide, you can see a reference from Badwin, which is a book talking about uh, modularity from the perspective of software engineering. And then, from that perspective, for a software to be considered modular, it needs to comply with five uh, different properties. Uh, characteristics. The first one is isolation in the sense that whatever happens inside a model should not be affecting other models, so that the internal states of the models are isolated. Abstraction is the second property, so that the internal states of the models are hidden behind an interface, so that the developer doesn't need to be worried about those internal states. The third characteristic is composability. Composability meaning that the models need to be or should be interconnectable in the sense that the, I should be able to create systems by interconnecting my models, by assembling my models in the way I want. The fourth one is reusability, which basically means that if a model is having a property, if a model is having a capability, then you should be able to use that capability. And the last one is extensibility, which means that if a model is not having a capability, then you should be able to add that capability. So we designed Curento based on these principles. Okay? And from that perspective, then developing with Curento uh, will like the metaphor of saying that it is like building something with with a Lego uh, with Lego pieces in the sense that we have different models, and these models are interconnectable, are composable. Okay? So that at the end of the day, what the API is exposing is a toolbox of models, and I just create applications by interconnecting these models. Okay? So it is not too complex. The The basic idea is, is quite simple. And then the, the main concept, the main idea we need to... Uh, somehow remember for developing with Curento is that we have models that can be interconnected. We can compose things with the models, okay? So the main primitive is called Connect. Connect is a primitive that is owned by any model and I can connect any model to any other model, okay? So that when developing with Curento, I'm going to be just instantiating my models which are called media elements. And as I said at the beginning, so that I am going to be instantiated my media elements and I would be interconnecting them. And, and that's all. So with this, we should be able to start developing with Yeah. So as, as a final word before starting showing some code, uh, I, I want to make a clarification because this is something that sometimes when we explain this to people, sometimes they run into questions or, or doubts. The, the developer is developing in Java or in JavaScript in an application server. But, of course, the media server is not executing in the application server. In in the application server, we have steps. We have steps that are exposed through an SDK. So we have Java SDKs. We have Node.js SDKs, PHP SDKs. And it, 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 those SDKs makes possible for the developer to manipulate the models, to manipulate the media elements to interconnect them but the real interconnection is not happening at the application server so every time i send a command to a media element what is happening is that the staff is sending a message through the control protocol to the media server and the media server then is doing the complex uh, things with the media okay so that the fact that i I'm going to show examples written in Java or in JavaScript. It doesn't mean that the media server is written in Java or in JavaScript. Uh, the media server is written in C, and I communicate with the media server using a protocol. But for simplifying the life of developers, we have created SDKs that are an abstraction, a wrapper on top of the protocol. This is the basic idea. So let's start developing. Uh, For starting developing with Corento, then you have our documentation. We have our main repository. And the first thing we are going to create is a Hello World application. So the Hello World application in our case is that thing that we call a loopback. A loopback meaning that we can create, for example, an application where a browser, a WebRTC browser is catching the webcam, is sending the webcam to the media server and then the media server is giving back the media to the browser so this is the most simple thing we can do with a media server which is nothing okay nothing meaning that the media is just received and sent back to the browser without doing any kind of processing with it so let's then develop this hello world application And for developing this Hello World application, basically, we need some code at the browser. At the browser, the code that I need is just basically the ability of manipulating a peer connection and manipulating the webcam using the GetUserMedia API. And for this, we have a small wrapper that we call WebRCPR, but the WebRCPR is is just a simple wrapper on top of the peer connection and the GetUserMedia APIs. So at the browser... There is nothing different from what you uh, may be doing uh, when you create of the types of WebRTC applications. Just capture the stream and communicate the stream using pre connection. Okay. The interesting thing is on the code that the developer can create at the application server side. And then uh, at the application server side, the developer is just using the media server API for creating whatever pipeline that the developer wants. And in this case, in our Hello World application, the pipeline is just comprising one single uh, media element, which is a web endpoint. So in the code, I just create a pipeline. After creating the pipeline, I instantiate the media element I want. So if I go to the toolbox of media elements, I can see that there is a media element capable of sending and receiving WebRTC streams. And this media element is is called the WebRTC endpoint. And then I instantiate a WebRTC endpoint. And after that, I just need to create the topology of whatever the WebRTC endpoint is doing with the media. So all the media that the WebRTC endpoint is receiving from the network the WebRC endpoint is publishing that media into its source, its source, which is an internal interface of the media server. So as as I don't want to do anything with the media, I just want to put the media back to the browser. All I need is to connect the source with the sync of the WebRTC endpoint. So here, this is what I am doing in the code that you can see on the left. And sync, WebRC endpoint, connect to yourself so that the source of the WebRTC endpoint is connected to the sync of the WebRTC endpoint. And whatever the WebRTC endpoint receives at the sync, it is sent through the network using the WebRTC protocols. So this is illustrating an example of a Hello World application, an application which is not doing anything with the media, but uh, just putting back the media into the network as it is received. Of course, uh if we were only able to do loopback, the media server would not be too useful. The interesting thing is that we can do additional things with the media so that I can extend my application, my loopback application, so that in addition to making the loopback, I can, for example, be recording the media stream. And for the recording the media stream, I need to go to the toolbox of capabilities of the media server, and I can see that there is a capability called recorder endpoint. The recorder endpoint is somehow a model that is capable of recording whatever it is receiving from its uh, sync. Or sync. Okay. So basically, then for recording media, I just need to interconnect a WebRTC endpoint to a recorder endpoint. And this is what this example is doing. So if I take a look to the code, Basically, I just need to instantiate my pipeline. After instantiating my pipeline, I instantiate the WebRTC endpoint and I instantiate the recorded endpoint. And here, I basically ask the recorded endpoint to connect to itself, the loopback, and at the line at the bottom, and asking the recorded, em- the WebRTC endpoint, sorry, to connect to the recorded endpoint so that only with that I created the pipeline, which is capable of recording whatever media streams are received from the browser. We can see more examples. For example, instead of recording, let's make the playing of a media. The playing of a media means that we have another model, which is called the player endpoint. And the player endpoint is capable of reading media streams. From different types of repositories or even from IP cameras using RTSP or using MGP. So, if I want to show into a browser the stream coming from a repository or coming from a camera, I just need to instantiate the player endpoint to connect the player endpoint with the WebRTC endpoint and to send, uh, and, and then the WebRTC endpoint is sending based on WebRTC protocols, the media to to the browser. So the application logic that I need in this case is equivalent. I just instantiate my pipeline. I just instantiate my WebRTC endpoint. I instantiate my player endpoint. And, and here in this instantiation, we have different options. I can read the, uh, the media to play from a file or from an RTP, RTSP camera, or from an HTTP URL, from an HTTP camera also. And then once I have created my player endpoint using one of these three options, I can just connect the output of the player endpoint with the sync of the WebRTC endpoint. So that playing a file or playing a camera is as simple as this. So this, these are the basics of the media server. Uh, and then let's start now talking about uh, things which are a little bit more complex, but also a little bit more interesting. Okay. So probably uh, if you have uh, paid attention to the examples I'm showing, you can see that I, in, I was interconnecting things that are heterogeneous. I was interconnecting an IP camera with a WebRTC endpoint, which is sending WebRTC streams to a browser. But there are no many IP cameras speaking, for example, the VP8 codec. Most cameras speak the X264 codec. So what happens with the transcoding? I was not showing a single line in my code asking for making a transcoding. The point is that the media server is having a feature that we call uh, agnostic media, which provides transparent transcoding, meaning that the connect primitive is intelligent and is capable of understanding what is the media formats that are the media elements that are interconnecting. And whenever it is required, it performs a transcoding. Of course, it doesn't perform a transcoding if it is not required. So this makes... Possible then to create applications uh, for interoperability where I can use, for example, WebRTC endpoints, which are the models capable of speaking WebRTC protocol. I can interconnect those with another type of model, which is called RTP endpoint. And the RTP endpoint is speaking legacy RTP. So that for interoperating WebRTC and RTP, I just need to interconnect these models, and I don't need to specify any kind of um, uh, codec parametrizations Or this is fully transparent for the developer. The developer uh, doesn't need to know about whether one RTP endpoint is speaking H. two six four or H. two six three or Sig, or all those transcodings happen transparently. Uh, and the developer just need to request for a connect. Uh, Then let's continue talking a little bit about models. And and up to now, we have just showed some examples for recording, playing, or interoperating. But in the media server, we have a bunch of models that are capable of making advanced processing with, with the media streams. So we have models that provide augmented reality capabilities, model that, models that provide computer vision capabilities, so that it is quite simple to integrate WebRTC or RTP communications with these types of advanced media processing features. Okay? So let, let's see some, some examples. Here we see, for example, a pipeline in which we are interconnecting a WebRTC endpoint with A special type of model which is called augmented reality filter the augmented reality filter is basically uh, detecting a marker because this type of augmented reality filter is marker based so it is detecting a marker and it is replacing the marker with another different thing which can be a planar image or can be even a 3d model okay so for this, probably the best way of uh, doing it is showing an example. Okay, so I hope you have seen this example, and this is an example of that of that application, where, as you can see, we are implementing a loopback. but this loopback this back is uh, somehow the media is being processed by the augmented reality filter, and the augmented reality filter is basically implementing some kind of computer vision algorithms for implementing the augmented reality. So again, this is the pipeline, and as you can see, there are no specifications on of transcoding, even though the augmented reality field... Sorry. It seems that the video worked alone. Okay, so here there is another example um, of using computer vision capabilities. This is an example for the smart cities and in this example for the smart cities we use a special type of filter called crowd detector filter the crowd detector filter is basically a a, a specific type of computer vision uh, capability that is suitable for detecting crowds of people crowds of people means group, groups of people that are not moving so the interesting thing with this type of filters is that they are capable of detecting things in the semantics of the media. So they are capable somehow of seeing things inside, inside the stream, inside the media stream. And the interesting point is that, is that those types of filters can publish events to the application so that the application developer can uh, create logic, specific logic processing those events. For example, in this application, if we imagine that there is an IP camera which is in, in a street, that IP camera is read by a player endpoint and is given to the crowd detector filter. Then the crowd detector filter is looking for crowds of people, for agglomerations of people. And whenever an agglomeration of people is detected, it, publish, it publishes an event to the application and then the developer can create whatever application logic uh, she wants. Such as, for example, notifying an alarm to a policeman or to uh, an ambulance or to whatever. Uh, okay. So the code for this type of application can be shown here. So basically, I create the pipeline, I create the crowd detector uh, filter, and to the crowd detector filter, I can add to it the appropriate listeners. For example, we have a listener for uh, processing occupancy events occupancy events means that there is a region in the video that is occupied by a crowd of people who are not moving then in the case in that case in case of the filter detecting that crowd of people who are not moving then we basically can create the application logic we want Uh, including sending messages or doing whatever we want, because here the developer is able to insert whatever code he wants, okay? So basically this makes possible to transform our media servers, our capabilities into uh, something suitable for acting as a sensor, as a sensor of things happening inside the media, okay? And this can be related to the notion of context, so that if the media server is capable of understanding what is happening in the media, I can publish that information into a a context database, or I can even use the context information for doing things with the media, so that the context information can affect the processing and and performing uh, onto a media stream. Okay. So the, this is somehow the basic idea behind uh, that this type of modularity, the idea of enabling the media server to be capable of detecting interesting things in the semantics of the media and of processing the media based on interesting things that are in the context. Okay. There are a lot of demos that you can check if you want, showing different types of capabilities, face detectors, virtual fences, Uh, uh, Chroma uh, capabilities, Chroma background extraction, basically. Uh, Mixing capabilities, blending. We have also augmented reality with 3D models. So there are a lot of demos. If you go to YouTube, you look for the current channel, you will see a lot of demos. And of course, you can also create your very own models. There is a process for doing it. You need to implement some interfaces. You need to execute some IDL compilers. But it is not too complex. And there are a lot of people over there creating, creating models for, for Corento. We estimate that there are around 200 models right now uh, providing different types of, of capabilities for Corento. Okay, And then uh, another different thing I would like to discuss is related to group communication, which is another of the things that uh, many people have an interest in, in in, in somehow in having media infrastructures providing capabilities for the communication. Okay, so Curento provides also group communication capabilities just by interconnecting media elements. So I can have I can create a mesh of WebRTC endpoints inside the media server, creating uh, different types of topologies. For example, a one-to-many topology is shown in this pipeline, but I can create more complex topologies just by interconnecting i can create a full mesh of uh or between the web rc endpoints so that i implement uh, group communication uh, capabilities suitable for working in the typical room uh, video conferencing application okay. and uh, and somehow given that this is a feature that is very requested by developers, we created an API for providing this feature in the sense that instead of letting the developer to to need to be um, creating the topology by themselves, we create a topology and we expose a high level application with primitives such as create room, delete room, join room, leave room, the typical primitives for group video conferencing. Okay? So we have also a group uh, video conferencing application which is based on into this, okay. We have also mixers for group communications, okay. And we have also an API that we call the three API which is suitable for making broadcasting. Broadcasting means that we are capable of chaining different uh, layers of media servers so that the media servers uh, get connected into a hierarchy and then we can meet Uh, broadcastings in the sense that one single input string can be uh, can be replicated and routed and broadcasted to a large number of viewers using WebRTC using WebRTC which means that it has very low latency much less latency than than typical broadcasting protocols such as MPEG-DASH or equivalent. And just to finish uh, I would like to spend one minute explaining a little bit what we are doing now, in what we are investing our time, and and basically we are working in, in in the cloudification of the media server. Uh so that the media server is is instead of being a process that executes into a machine, is is transformed into a cloud infrastructure, into an elastic cloud infrastructure. For this, we are creating elastic RTC, Elastic RTC is somehow a version of Currentomedia Media Server, which is executing into Amazon Web Services and which is providing elastic scalability. Uh, We are adding into Elastic RTC some additional features uh, in the media, such as Simulcast. Simulcast is is also supported, multi-stream, and we are working in in providing unified plans uh, support for multi-streaming. But somehow the main novelty of Elastic RTC is that it, it it is behaving like like something that we could define as an infinite media server. Okay. So so that the developer instead of speaking with a single media server is speaking with a cloud. And this cloud is scaling out and scaling in using the cloud orchestration mechanisms for uh, instantiating as media servers as are required for uh, managing the, the, the load offered by the application. Okay. So that at the end of the day, we want to see Elastic Media servers as some kind of, of hub uh, acting uh, somehow as a middleware for enabling interoperability between a lot of different types of media capabilities including WebRTC, but including RTP legacy capabilities, or even RTMP, we integrate also with BOSA and with um, CloudFront. Uh, so that this, this is somehow where we are investing our time, okay? And if you want to take Elastic RTC, it, it is, the script is already in GitHub, and basically you just need to go to Amazon, open an Amazon Web Service account, and execute a script, and when executing the script, of course, you need to provide your credentials for Amazon Web Services so that the, the cloud is your very own cloud. It is executed into your very own resources uh, uh, in Amazon. But the point is that this script generates the appropriate cloud infrastructure and you have a single entry point and your applications can somehow consume that single entry point, that URL and it behaves in the same way than a standard current media server with the same API, but it is is, uh, elastic-scalable. So that's all I wanted to show you today. And and, and with this, I conclude uh, my presentation and allow me to thank you for...
2: Wait a minute, you're not going to get off that easy, Luis. Stay with (laughs) us. First of all, um, I know that uh, Tim is going to help me out with this, and I know James may have some questions, but I have a couple of questions first. And and the first one is, uh, this is a huge number of possibilities, and I want to know how long this project has been going. It looks like it must have been at least three years. So when did this start?
3: Um... If you think about, uh, I, I mean, if you see the oldest line of code in Curento, it is probably having 10 years, probably, okay? But it, it was not called Curento at that time. <laughs> uh, the the Curento as a project is started in the year uh, 2012, so it is four years uh, now, okay? Uh, but we integrated into it a lot of things that we were Uh, we have been developing in different types of research projects in in a lot of years. Okay. So probably it is more than 10 years of of effort uh, over there.
2: Okay. Okay. When I joined a project, um, this is, a thousand years ago, I was working for a company, but uh, someone, there were, they had a language for, deta- for uh, describing a database schema or schema, I don't even know how that's pronounced, the database structure, and someone said that it was called DMRS, I think, Data Management Relations Structure or something. Someone said it was 10,000 lines of Fortran. Do we have any idea of the number of lines of code that are in this? Just out of curiosity.
3: Incuento, you mean? Yeah. Mm,
2: 200,000, perhaps. So you see, we've had this inflation. I mean, I think that's fascinating. 10,000 lines of Fortran was mind blowing. In whatever year that was, I mean, there was I think it was in the eight, 1980s, I believe that would have been. But I mean, it's just it's really funny because that seemed like a lot of lines of code in, back in the day. Anyway, I yeah. uh, those are my reflections more or less. Uh, one one final uh, thing I have with the question is uh, you. I was looking at the slide and you mentioned S three, and I didn't understand. You are saying recording with the yeah. resulting recording going to Amazon S three. Is that what that
3: meant? <coughs> Yeah. Okay. This this means that we use the S3 repository for making the recording, so right. that you you can somehow uh, use S3 capabilities, which are uh, as you know, you in S3 you can drop really huge amounts of data. Right. Okay. So uh, the the video uh, uh, files are recorded as S3 objects. Okay.
2: Okay. This yeah. Is, uh, uh, I, that's what I thought, but around. I want to make sure I understood. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay. And even I have had an AWS account for years and have done a lot of things with it. Tim, I'm going to ask you to help out, but let's see if James has anything. Well,
4: I want to see a, a, a bit of a live demo, <laughs> as always. But I'm guessing that Tim and Tim have got loads of really penetrating questions they want to ask. All right. Let's
2: uh, throw it over to Tim.
1: Um, I'm not sure about penetrating questions, but I mean, I, I so the, the use case is pretty clear for like big mass servers of, you know, thousands of people joining a, a, a broadcasted conference or something like that. Or, or you know, as you said, the, the example of, of like a load of traffic cameras and, and looking for for events and that kind of thing. But what interests me is whether, it, and you know, the AWS hugely scaling is, is great. But is it possible to use it in a small way? So like, you know, if I've got somebody who's got a Raspberry Pi with a camera on it, can they run Corento on a, on, a, on a small thing and use it as a, as a gateway into, into the media resources of
3: a small device? Or is it, is it really not built for that? Uh, you, you need to work a little bit, but you can do it. And we have uh, many users which are somehow the media server is very modular, as you can see. And then the point is that you can take different pieces and you can compile them independently. So there are many users compiling just the WebRTC endpoint into Raspberry Pis or devices like that, and they are providing WebRTC capabilities to uh, these type of devices. For for example, for transforming uh, a standard IP camera into a WebRTC camera, and then they put the Raspberry Pi next to the camera, and they... They just compile a player endpoint and a WebRTC endpoint, and this is not bringing the rest of the media server so that you just keep whatever you need in the Raspberry Pi. Okay. But uh, for this, uh, you need to work a little bit. So it, it, it is not straightforward. You cannot just go and install it to capabilities. You need to to understand a little bit the code and you need to compile just the parts of the code that you want. Okay. Otherwise, installing the whole media server into a Raspberry Pi, it is possible on or into a small device. But probably it makes no a lot of sense, okay? Because the media server is requiring a, a relevant a- amount of memory, okay? So this is, however, an interesting evolution we can think about. Okay, the, the possibility of somehow creating minimalistic versions of the media server suitable. For working into uh, small and limited devices, but uh, so far our focus has been more in cloud infrastructure, more than that in in small devices. Okay,
1: so so that wouldn't be a good place to start. It would be it's a thing you could do, but you'd advise somebody to start with a. No. a, a, a
3: kind of a server-based system and, and, and think about it
0: from there no, as a starting point. Uh,
3: my recommendation for the starting, uh, would be better to use, for example, Elastic RTC. With Elastic RTC, you can have in five minutes your uh, uh, media server instance up and running, and then you can start playing with it, and you can create your applications yeah, or execute demos.
4: Luis, that sounds like a bit of a challenge. You said it only takes five minutes. So why don't we just do it live?
1: Yeah, go on then, James.
4: No, no. Well, I can't because I'm <laughs> unskilled. But clearly, Luis is uh, is very, very
1: skilled. Well, wait, wait. I still have one more question. Let let me yeah. let me let me ask that one first, and then, then we can go off on the on the tricky stuff. Um. So uh, the other question was around how many of the capabilities that that you're putting in the media server are things that you could do in the browser anyway. So I mean, you know, we, we both did kind of the same virtual reality demo of, of replacing an image with another image. But mm-hmm. I did it in the browser and you do it in the server. Mm-hmm. So it, I think there are a number of the things you can do. I mean, recording is obviously... Actually, no, not even recording. So there are a, a number of these facilities are now becoming available mm-hmm. in the browser. Do you see that as a challenge to the media server architecture or is it
3: not an issue? Uh, I think that it depends on the use case. I mean uh, there are use cases in which it makes sense to do it at the browser and there are use cases in which it makes more sense to do it at, at the infrastructure side okay the the browser and the infrastructure side capabilities are not the same in the sense that for example if you want to use uh, 3D rendering the webgl uh, apis are not uh, Providing the full stack of OpenGL APIs, so at the server side you have more capabilities for shaders, for doing more, somehow more powerful, more powerful things. But of course, uh, if you do things at the infrastructure, you need to pay for the money of the infrastructure. The infrastructure is costing uh, costs money. So this is why I say that it depends on the use case. There are use cases in which it makes sense to do it in the infrastructure because uh, probably you can get a better quality of the computer vision algorithms, of the augmented reality capabilities. Uh, And there are other situations in which probably the most important variable can be cost, for example, or scalability. And in that case, uh, having the client to do the work is is better. Okay. So I, I couldn't say that uh, categorically that it is better to do augmented reality at the browser or at the media server. My answer is that it depends on the use case. So tell me the use case and I can give you a recommendation on whether it is better at the browser or it is better at the infrastructure side. Okay, okay cool. Yeah, no, that, that, that's good.
2: Hmm. Michael actually asked a pretty good question, a great question, mm. in fact, which was, mm. where is this being used? Can we have some examples of where this, by the way, I've, uh, since I have the focus on the camera, it's, uh, you can spell k u r e n t o dot org and you can see it on the image here if you're watching um, mm. to go start uh, messing with this. Uh, Luis, are there use cases that we can talk about that are being, maybe they're high visibility or whatever?
3: Um we have a lot of use cases uh, related to our uh, research projects okay so uh, there are companies uh, working in smart environments for example smart environments meaning that they they have uh, capabilities for example for putting a camera in a shop and then Doing things such as counting the number of people who is looking to the to the glass of of through the glass of a shop or counting the number of people who is in our specific uh, area of a shop okay we have also in our research projects um, a company working in the uh, in in the area of video surveillance and those people have created uh, virtual fences. Uh, capabilities of or movement detection capabilities and then uh, those people is somehow interested in moving from um, from a model which is based on on appliances for video surveillance somehow customized developments on um, having a, a, a specific develop clients for video surveillance and moving all that to a browser okay but uh, this movement is tricky because of problems related to latency. Then, for example, one of the la- latest features we added for that use case is that the player we have made it to be seekable, so that using WebRSA, you can you can somehow browse the the file, and this is having much less latency than browsing a file using uh, uh, traditionally HTTP streaming or a dash stream. So, so that basically you can you can control from the browser with a lot of more precision, the browsing of the file for that type of use case, okay? We have other companies also working in gaming, so they, they are interested in, uh, in in somehow putting in contact lively people working or people playing uh, in in a computer game. So that is a way of, uh, of creating uh, uh, a social structure on top of the game, okay? And, and they are also considering to use uh, augmented reality capabilities for uh, somehow uh, adding things to the reality of the users that are related to the game. Okay, So for example, if I am playing a game which is related to, I don't know, to uh, uh, pirates or to Star Wars, then I can put... A, a, a background which is related to Star Wars, or I can put. I think I have a video if you one I, I can show you because that one is is probably beautiful. Uh,
1: does it have Does it have music? Because we can't show videos with music on.
3: Uh, no, it is not having music. It is just having people talking. Okay.
1: Okay. Cool. Now this is just the copyright
3: stuff with YouTube. Yeah. Okay. So no no problems with with the copyright. So. Let's share this one. No, not that one.
4: <laughs> no, no, not that one.
3: <laughs> so this is this is an example of uh, of of how we can use uh, backgrounds and uh, fight detection mechanisms for putting people uh, in inside a game. Okay. So and and here, for example, this is another use case of producing producing video in real time so we have a video which has been recorded using a chroma and then we extract the background
2: (laughs) wishful thinking
3: yeah and we 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 detect the face of the person and then we align the the video is somehow aligned the blending is aligned to uh, match the the face of of the people who is being shown in, in real time okay so There's a,
2: you have a YouTube channel. Let me make sure that people yeah. see this because if they're, if they're even just listening and are not not watching, you go to YouTube and look for Corrento Corento, yeah, Corento are, K-U-R-E-N-T-O because they have all those videos there and you can watch them. What we just saw, in case you missed it or are yeah. not watching the video, that's where you go, Corento channel on YouTube.
3: Yeah, you just look for Corento and oh, over here we, we have a, a lot of videos showing all these types of capabilities.
2: We're see behind sir. in the questions. Uh, I don't know if... Tim is done, but... Let, no, I,
1: have, I actually have one more.
2: Okay. Oh,
1: no! <laughs> well, you like this one, James. So, so Luis, do you have a, a cat detection filter? Uh, you've got a crab oh, nice. detection filter, but can you detect cats?
3: Uh, Cars? do you mean? No, cats. The what? Meow, what, what is it? Like meow. dogs. Ah, cats. Felines, <laughs> felines. Ow. Felines. Yeah. And no, I'm afraid that one is not already created, but... Probably it, it 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 will become very popular if we create it.
1: Yeah, because because uh, Bodie wants to be able to detect cats on his lawn. So uh, it'd, be a, it'd be a thing for James to be able to uh, to that and chickens, so he can detect mm-hmm. the, the where his animals are, and it could send him send him alerts if his animals are out of there. Geographical uh, limits, geofences, animals.
4: What, what I would like to see, and I've been going through something with our neighborhood about this, is I'd like to see something that allowed me to tap the surveillance cameras in my front yard to do um, an ongoing traffic study so I could know the speed and size of vehicles uh, traversing the street in front of our house.
3: Yeah, yeah, we, we have that capability. A company created it, but unfortunately it is not open source. So the but they, they have the capability of measuring the size of cars from the camera. You need to calibrate it, so you, you need to provide the, somehow the distance be, between the camera and the, and the road. Sure,
4: um, does, you need to have sort of the, the geometry of the field of view well-defined, yeah, yes? Yeah,
3: yeah, but once you have defined that geometry, it is, the filter is capable of detecting the speed of cars and other things, they, they were detecting the color, they were detecting yeah, things things like that so they they are working in uh, the smart cities uh, uh, applications and things like that okay so there are people doing that type of things yeah wow that could be handy
1: yeah, yeah the, i like the idea the,
4: of uh, WebRTC pad, uh, speed trap i think that's pretty cool yeah.
2: no, the, the crowd detection thing was impressive let me let me try to read these um, it's from Daniel from Camellia we'll all be at Camellia World, the 18th of May, in Berlin. And uh, uh, Daniel asks, uh, uh, little, is it yes. only
4: using WebRTC SRTP specs, or can it do
2: ZRTP too? Thank you, James. And there's a second part to that, but first part...
3: Can you repeat? Sorry, I, I missed the question. Yeah, it's, it's a British
2: accent. Let me read it. Can yes. it be? Can Corento be used as encryption and decryption gateway for plain R- RTP to and from SRTP?
3: Yeah, we support that. Yeah,
2: that was that was easy. Now here's the second yeah. part of the question: <laughs> uh, Is it only using the WebRTC SRTP specs, or can it do ZRTP too?
3: ZRTP, if you're American. No, only only SRTP.
2: Okay. See, we got through that. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Who's We're
3: next? All. Right.
4: I want a demo. I want a live demo, not a, a live video. demo. Luis.
3: Okay. So so no, you that, can't come but on we, here and we,
4: just we, show us bits of video. It's we, awesome.
3: we didn't prepare that, so I let, know you didn't. But let, let, let me fun. check if I have online somebody for for uh, starting the live demo.
4: Uh, those nice young ladies from the kissing demo could be. Yeah, that
2: would fun. be wonderful.
4: No, I think
1: James should do it. <laughs> oh, or oh, 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 we? Could do it. Uh, well, we're online.
3: <laughs> we could so I'm, I'm afraid I, I have nobody now uh, ready here because uh, we. It is Friday, and here in Spain it is, or uh, uh, twenty past six in the afternoon. So I'm afraid all the team left. So. If I had oh, known man. that you were going that, that you were going to ask this uh, I would have prepared but to compensate if you want I can make a personal demo for you on Monday <laughs> There you go <laughs>
2: <laughs> Okay we- We are running over here. We should probably cut the broadcast, but we can continue in the mature audiences only version. Uh, James, (laughs) you joined us late. Luis, I just want to publicly thank you. It's great to have you, and we had you scheduled for quite a long time ago, and I'm really, really pleased that you were able to make it, and this is a fascinating topic. I'd like to explore it more, and if I have the help of somebody like Tim, I may just get to that.
3: So thank you. Thank you to you for inviting me and for allowing me to... To show you the type of things we are doing. Okay. Thank it you. It was baby. great.
2: And again, Corento uh, Corento Corento. Corento. Corento K K U R E N T O dot org. And uh, thanks to everybody who participates in this. Uh, next week. Remember in Europe, one hour early and then we'll be past this horrible daylight scene. Good night, everybody. And stay with us for the audiences only version. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is provided by OnSip.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com wzipdx.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time. See you
0: next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family